0: Sheer Soul with your Turquoise Angel Guide, Catherine M. Lau, and her variety of guests on the Celestial School, formerly Spiritual Destination. As an author and speaker about mental illness, Catherine has firsthand experience with mental and physical interactions, and how spirituality plays a part in overcoming struggles. She she utilizes her skills as a psychic medium and spiritual advisor to guide others to feel invigorated and empowered to go forward in their own struggles. Listen to inspirational conversation relating to sometimes difficult emotional journeys towards self-awareness and spirituality. These journeys brought positive effects toward her guests' mental and physical health and will inspire you to take action and create a healthier and happier personal environment for yourself and those you interact with. You will get the feeling of knowing these people during these relaxing conversations and want to follow them. Now, here is your host, Katherine M. Lau. Hello, everybody.
1: Welcome to today's episode of The Celestial Spoon, and thank you for taking the time from your busy day to spend with us and learn about my guest and his story of another person. This is going to be a little bit different than our usual interview, but I am very excited to go on a different avenue today. I hope you are all enjoying the summer season and not getting as much rain as we had yesterday. We had a major downfall, and my husband actually sat in the car for about 10 minutes before getting out to come in the house. That's how much it was coming down. If you would like to learn more about me on my coaching and my psychic abilities, you can look on my website at KatherineMLaub.com. And if you're interested in anything like that, you can sign up through my website. We ask our spirit guides, loved ones, and angels to be present during our time together and to guide us through a wonderful conversation and help us share our visions with the world. I'm thrilled today to be interviewing Brian C. Wilson about his book describing the life of John E. Fetzer, who forfeit the marriage of science and spirituality through the decades. Brian Wilson, author of the new book, John E. Fetzer and the Quest for the New Age, is a professor of American religious history in the Department of Comparative Religion at Western Michigan University. He holds a Ph.D. in Religious Studies at the University of California, Santa Barbara. After writing an award-winning book on serial inventor and the leading Seventh-day Adventist of his time, Dr. John Harvey Kellogg, the Fetzer Institute invited Wilson to write a full-length spiritual biography of its founder, John E. Fetzer. The Kalamazoo-based Fedso was a radio pioneer, media mogul, and longtime owner of the Detroit Tigers, Detroit Tigers baseball team. But what most people didn't know was that Johnny FEDSA was quietly behind the scenes a significant figure in the consciousness movement and a spiritual seeker of the first order. For more than 60 years, He sought ways to open the doors of higher consciousness, spiritual empowerment, paranormal insights, and energy medicine to humanity
2: through spiritual
1: study, science, and the influence of the wealth at his disposal. In John E. Fetzer and the Quest for the New Age, Wilson not only explores the evolution of Fetzer's beliefs but how he put them into action by permanently endowing three funds that will force the research into the scientific-spiritual interface for years to come and help cultivate a more peaceful, loving, and inclusive world founded on the principle that we are all connected through one infinite force. And I'm excited to be learning about Johnny Fetzer and... Brian's journey of learning about him and it's like I said it's a a different type of interview than I normally do but it's very exciting because it has to do with spirituality which I'm very involved in. So welcome Brian. How are you today?
3: I'm doing really well.
1: That's great to hear and like I said this interview is a little bit different because I normally have Um, my own scheduled questions, but you have wonderful questions for me to discuss with you and to go forward in an exciting conversation.
3: Great. I look forward to it.
1: Yes. Is there anything interesting going on in your life today?
3: Um, No, not really. I'm um, sitting in my office uh, at – at school, uh, working on uh, papers and doing my writing. So it's a beautiful day here in Kalamazoo, and we've had uh, tremendously warm and humid weather. But today it's bright and beautiful, and the humidity is broken, so couldn't ask for a better day.
1: That sounds great because I'm on Long Island, New York, and it is still humid here, and <laughs> I don't like the temperature.
3: <laughs> yeah.
1: We Like I said, we had a really big downfall yesterday, and the thunder and lightning was so much, and had to turn off the air conditioners because Mm we are always worried about something happening with that, but um, today it's clear out, but the humidity is still there, so um, I hope it clears up for everyone local to Long Island and that we enjoy the rest of the summer on better, clear days.
0: Yep.
1: So, Brian, um, can you start by telling us a little about your journey, how you got interested in learning about John E. Fetzer?
3: Sure. Um, Well, I'm a professor of comparative religion, and um, I'm really interested in American religious history, and especially new religious movements and new spiritual movements, And for the last, uh, say, decade or so, I've been looking at new spiritual movements in the Midwest. And so John Fetzer and the Fetzer Institute is located uh, here in Kalamazoo. Um, So I very early on got interested in in the kinds of things that they were doing. And luckily, because of my uh, John Harvey Kellogg book, um, the Fetzer Institute uh, was aware of my interest in these things and eventually asked me to come and uh, write a full-length spiritual biography of John Fetzer. And it was just a wonderful experience because John Fetzer left behind a wealth of documents about his spiritual journey. And that's really what makes the book special, I think, is that it's a very uh, um, well-documented narrative of how somebody goes about putting together their own spiritual worldview and how they continue growing over a, a very long life.
1: Yeah, that's um I'm, I'm excited to learn all about this because like I said in the beginning that I've gotten very um deep into my spirituality and the more I learn the more um I guess you could say light that I feel because mm-hmm. I I know the difference between just living your life and
2: living the spiritual life.
3: Yes. Yes. Yeah, it's a, a much more kind of intensive way of living, a much more kind of mindful or conscious way of living.
1: Right. And you know, I highly recommend it to anybody that hasn't looked into spirituality on any level to really um, listen to my conversations and pick up whatever works for you.
3: Mhm. Well one of the things Brian, that John Betzer Oh, go ahead.
2: Go ahead. Go ahead
3: one of the things that John Petzer believed very strongly in was what he called freedom of the spirit. And that was really the, the the kind of inherent freedom of every individual to um, chart their own spiritual path and uh, go where it takes them. Um, so he was very much into uh, a kind of seekership that was uh, exploratory and, and open to all sorts of new things. That's wonderful. And
1: um how, when was he born? I don't remember uh, He was born it. in
3: 1901. Uh, he grew up in a – go ahead.
1: Go ahead. I, I was just curious um, when he began his actual journey um, compared to nowadays and how people didn't look at any of this in the past.
3: Yeah, well, he was uh, uh, he was raised a Christian, and he was baptized a, a Methodist, and then in his teens, his mother converted to Seventh-day Adventism, and he followed her into the church and was a Seventh-day Adventist uh, until his late 20s, and at that point, and this was in the 1920s, uh, he broke with the tradition and started looking around for other alternatives uh, to develop his spirituality. And one of the things he did was, uh, in the early 1930s, um, he went down to a spiritualist camp called Camp Chesterfield in Indiana. And Camp Chesterfield um, was a, a summer camp for mediums. And it's been around since the 19th century, and it's, it's still going great guns today. And there, John Fetzer uh, encountered um, all sorts of mediums, uh, psychics, uh, people who taught him various forms of divination, And they also had a bookstore, Uh, so he started buying all sorts of books about different metaphysical traditions. And that's really when he got his start uh, in the early 1930s. And um, he passed away in 1991, almost made it to his 90th year, and right up to the end he was still exploring, still reading, still uh, trying out new spiritual practices.
1: That's amazing because I, I never really thought about many years ago how spiritualism, <clears throat>
2: excuse
1: me, played a part in people's lives. I I thought a lot of it was, um, you know, like oh no, don't listen to them type of thing at that time.
3: Well, um, it definitely wasn't mainstream. And uh, John Petzer was always, at least in his early life, he was very uh, careful. In his explorations, Um, he made his fortune in radio. Uh, He was a radio pioneer in southwest Michigan and created a series of radio stations and then TV and cable, and that's how he became so wealthy. But throughout that time that he was building his businesses, uh, he was always very careful to keep his spiritual search to himself. Um, So even his closest colleagues at his businesses. Um, they knew he was into some interesting things, but they never knew the full extent. Only his closest family really knew the extent and, and the kind of seriousness with which he pursued these spiritual ideas.
2: Hmm, that's pretty
1: interesting. Um, I, I I think that nowadays there's still people that think, "Oh no, this is voodoo stuff, and you know, we shouldn't get involved with it." Um, and truthfully, I've been told by several people that if I want to take the avenue,
2: excuse me,
1: I want to speak on stage about suicide prevention and I was told not to bring into the spirituality of how I overcame my own problems. Mm. But that's that's my life. You know, yeah. and for them to tell me not to bring that in, I thought that was very strange. So, um, yeah, yeah I, I do
3: still see. Go ahead. I think that's, that's pretty strange, too. I mean, we all create our personal narratives and the things that support us in our, our you know, spiritual and personal lives. So, yes, uh-huh. I mean, I'm not talking about it. it seems like exactly the wrong thing to do.
1: Right, and it just it didn't sit home with me and um, these people are very influential, and mm-hmm. they're teachers, so I listen to the parts that will make sense for me, and when they tell me not to do something, I still do it anyway,
2: yep
3: yep <laughs> well that's that's one of the things that really attracted me to Fetzer as well he was really fearless in what he he explored and By the end of his life, in the 1970s and 80s, he was finally comfortable to um, basically come out and talk publicly about all the things he was interested in. And he actually found a great deal of interest um, among the people in Kalamazoo and beyond. And he created his own kind of spiritual circle that he felt very comfortable um, talking about these, these issues with. Um, so for him, it, it was a lifetime of kind of compartmentalizing, but then at the end of his life, he um, was, you know, he was basically very open about his, his spiritual beliefs.
1: That's wonderful. And I love that he created his own circle, that um, I'm sure each person in his circle then elaborated and created more of their circles. <clears throat> Excuse me. Yeah, I, I, I want please, to go uh, back to, um, go ahead. can you explain what the Seventh-day
3: Adventist is? Because sure. I'm not sure what that is. Well, it's um, a Christian denomination uh, that began in the early 19th century, and it began with the prophecies of a man named William Miller, uh, who read the book of Revelation and believes that the, the second coming of Jesus was going to occur in 1844. And when it didn't occur, um, some of his followers reinterpreted his prophecies that Jesus was going to come soon, but we just wouldn't know exactly when. Um, So Adventism, the advent basically refers to the second advent of Jesus, and Adventists believe that the second coming is going to occur pretty soon, uh, sooner than later. And they also practiced uh, a Saturday Sabbath. Um, instead of practicing a Sunday Sabbath, they, they practiced the old Jewish Sabbath of Saturday. And so that's why they're Seventh-day Adventists. Um, back before we had weekends, uh, Saturday was the seventh day of the week, and Sunday, of course, was the first day. So they were Seventh-day Adventists because they practiced um, a Saturday Sabbath. So that was the basis of Seventh-day Adventism, which actually began as a denomination in um, in Battle Creek, Michigan, uh, back in 1863. And it's one of the most successful uh, new Christian movements in the history of the United States. Um, it's even larger now than um, than the Mormons are, and that's a tremendously successful tradition. So it's a it's a it's a fascinating denomination.
1: Yes, it it sounds very fascinating. Um, I I like the way that um, they followed the Saturday Sabbath. Mm -hmm. Um, What about nowadays? Do they still follow that? Because I I know how, like in the 70s, is when I started working as a teenager and you you weren't really supposed to be working on Sunday at all. Sure. And then they changed that. So how do they look at that
2: aspect of it?
3: Well, they're very still very committed to a Saturday Sabbath, and it's always been a a problem. And in fact, they've um, litigated this in the courts uh, because people have been fired because they wouldn't they would refuse to work on a Saturday. And in some cases, they've been successful. in other cases they haven't. Um, The fact that we now actually have a a weekend uh, makes it a little bit easier for them because Saturday is no longer a a day of work necessarily, although, of course, now our economy is seven days a week, 24 hours a day. Things have changed. But they're still adamant about practicing the Saturday Sabbath. Okay, that's
1: great. I remember the, the uproar back then how... Oh no! You can't work on a Sunday,
3: and, you know. Sure. And, there used to be laws on the books that you couldn't have a business open on a Sunday.
1: Exactly, and for now, seven days a week, as you said, that's amazing that um, they're still able to follow that. That's yeah. very um, interesting.
3: Well, I, you know, um, on the one hand, I, I like the idea that people have the freedom to do what they want on Sundays, and they're not forced by laws to do this. But on the other hand, I think we've lost something without the you know the, the Sabbath, uh, the one day a week where you basically um, turn your focus to things other than making a living, and I think that's uh, it's still tremendously important, and it's hard for us to carve out the time these days to actually be mindful and and change our focus from our you know kind of everyday
2: life.
1: Yes, and just recently because I've been working seven days a week trying to get my business going Mm
2: -hmm. and
1: I haven't really accomplished it. So I decided that Saturday and Sunday will be my time to do household stuff, spend time with my family and everything. And I feel like taking that break actually recharges me.
3: Yes, yes. I think it's tremendously important. We're just working ourselves to death.
1: Yes, and that's what I teach everybody from the mental illness aspect of, well, if you don't take care of yourself, other things aren't going to fall into place, so um, I highly recommend, if you're able to, even just Sunday, to take Mm -hmm. that day and, you know, celebrate life, and it makes a big difference.
3: Yep, yep, and be with your family.
1: Exactly, and... It's starting to work well for me, and we just have to make sure it keeps up. So, hope everybody else can do that. I would like to get back to John Fetzer now. Uh huh. Um, what was he like as a person?
3: Well, um, he was. I never actually uh, had the opportunity to meet him. Unfortunately, he died in '91, and I came to Kalamazoo in 1996, so we just kind of missed each other. But I've talked to his, you yeah. know, his, his colleagues and his friends and some of his relatives and um, people describe him as a, just in, incredibly smart and had a mind like a steel trap, very good with details um, and that obviously helped him in his businesses. Um, but also a fairly warm and empathetic person uh, who you know, kind of compartmentalized, compartmentalized his life between his business feelings, and his home life, and his spiritual life. Um, so he was very aware that he needed that kind of downtime, um, that kind of separation between his business pursuits and uh, his family. Um, he enjoyed being in a group and having lively and deep discussions about spiritual things. We were talking earlier about his spiritual group in the 1970s, which was the, the Monday Night Group, and just it's amazing the range of things they they talked about Uh, he was very interested in parapsychology he was very interested in A Course in Miracles and the Orantia book these are two channel documents Um, so they would sit and basically uh, talk about these things and interpret them and then at the end of it they would uh, all go off to a a big chicken dinner so he he loved his company he he loved his, his inner circle
1: and that's, that's what it's all about. It's really loving the people that you're with and being able to connect with them in a great way.
3: Yes, yes. So yeah, I, I in think what it was
1: sense was John a new ager?
3: Well, um, the, the new age movement really um, kind of uh, came on the scene in the 1980s and 1990s. And it was primarily associated with um, all sorts of practices, the use of crystals and divination and tarot cards and channelers and things like that, all of which John Fetzer was very interested in. But the key for John Fetzer, and the reason I think of him as a New Ager, is that he always believed that the importance of individual spiritual transformation was that if enough people were spiritually transformed then you'd have a global spiritual transformation. And that was the New Age for John Fetzer. The New Age was going to be a period of, of increased heightened consciousness uh, for all of humanity. And this would be achieved through uh, individuals basically striving for um, individual spiritual transformation. So the New Age, and it's an interesting kind of connection to his Seventh-day Adventist background, because it, it is a kind of uh, apocalypse in a way, but a good one. Uh, because he really saw it as a kind of uh, evolutionary step up for all of humanity. And that idea never left him. He never gave up the idea, this kind of social focus of his ideas. And that, in part, is why he created his foundation and the Fetzer Institute uh, in order to continue on uh, promoting individual spiritual transformation in order to achieve global transformation down the road.
2: That's
1: beautiful. And I do feel that I guess in the last five or so years that there's a bigger transformation with spirituality and people loving each other a little bit more. Do you Mm -hmm. recognize that too?
3: Yeah, I think so. And there's this interesting shift going on uh, where pollsters who go out and basically ask people about their religious beliefs Um, It's interesting, the the fastest growing demographic are those people who, when they're asked, what religion are you, they say, none. So they get called nuns, which is confusing because it's N-O-N-E-S. And when you you drill down and you ask them more questions about, well, what do you mean by that? Um, Only a very small percentage, about 2%, uh, self-identify as either atheist or agnostic, and the rest classify themselves as spiritual. So they, they have a, a kind of connection with the transcendent, and it's based on uh, personal experience, but they don't feel a great need to basically uh, join an institution in order to develop this. Now, they do tend to s- seek each other out uh, and form communities, and they tend to be very informal communities uh, in which they, they share this, this kind of spirituality and their connection to the transcendent. Um and that's the SBNRs as they're called the spiritual but not religious uh, again is one of the fastest growing demographics in the United States and it's a young demographic it's among millennials and younger um and I think that's a very healthy kind of spirituality that leads to the kind of what love and acceptance um that hopefully will transform society Yes and I like I said I do feel that it is
1: transforming already um you have, like, um, I was raised Catholic, and I was very involved in going to church, bringing my, my kids to church and everything, and they just did not like going. So mm-hmm. now, as adults, they don't practice any religion because um, when they were very little, my brother-in-law passed away suddenly, and they didn't understand it. They said, why, why would God do this? Somebody that was so young.
2: Yeah. So they don't
1: believe, they don't fully believe in God, and they're very slowly starting to follow some of my beliefs because as a psychic, they all said, Oh, that's baloney. But the Mm -hmm. more that I do a reading for one of them or something, they say, How do you know that, mommy? And it's like, (laughs) Well, that's just. You know, that's God working for me. So
2: um,
1: I hope that everybody else in the world that has situations like that, that they can actually recognize and still know that spirituality is connected to God, the universe, whoever you put in place of the source, Mm
2: -hmm. and
1: that... Instead of just living their lives, they find their higher purpose to be connected with everybody.
2: Yeah,
3: yeah. And I, you know, I see this happening, especially when younger people uh, wind up getting married and having kids, and then it becomes a real live issue. Um, and then people start seeking, seeking things out. And, of course, you know, later on in the life cycle, as we get older and start confronting, you know, kind of existential questions, um, these issues loom a lot larger. And um, people are, I think, looking for personal spiritual experience to kind of fill in the meaning that simply their job or their profession or however they identify themselves um, is not really giving them.
1: Right, exactly. And I can see the change in some people that I've met, let's say, 10 years ago. -hmm.
2: And
1: if I talk with them again now... I can see the difference in them and how they're feeling much better, too. And um, I know from my own journey that when people hear what what I've gone through, Mm -hmm. they recognize that, oh, my goodness, her spirituality has helped her, so I'm going to put it into place. And I'm, I'm thrilled to be able to bring that to the world.
3: Yeah, yeah. That's amazing.
1: Yes, thank you. So did John Fetzer believe that science and spirituality necessarily conflicted?
3: No. Um, he really believed, well, I'll back up here because uh, he was a, a radio engineer and uh, was a you know pioneer with radio. So he was very interested. When he discovered the kind of magic of radio waves and, and the way that this invisible energy could basically transmit, you know, voice and music and things like that, and for him, uh, even though it can be physically explained through electromagnetic radiation, uh, he saw it as something really magical, and he believed that the the spectrum really connects up kind of empirical energies with subtle energies, Um, and he believed that basically if you followed it far enough, if you spiritualized science, science would uh, be able at some point to prove the reality of spirit and make it more accessible. So for him, uh, one of his lifelong goals was always to reconcile science and spirituality, and he really felt for this global transformation that he was trying to encourage that if science didn't recognize the spiritual side of things. It would never advance to the point where it would help in this overall spiritual transformation. So even today, the part of the the, the mission of the part of the Fetzer Institute, they have something called the Franklin Fetzer Fund, uh, which um, funds very kind of cutting edge science that deals with um, physics and biology, but looking at it from a holistic or spiritual perspective. And it's very interesting stuff. I can't say I I understand it all, Um, but uh, it it seems to be making an impact. And it's exactly the kind of thing that John Fetzer, one of the things he wanted to do through his philanthropies was to fund this kind of research. And that's wonderful. You
1: know, every time that I think about where we're
2: talking on the
1: phone, but there's no lines connected, and like you said, the radio waves and everything—all that little stuff amazes me so much. Yeah.
3: <laughs> it is remarkable. It is remarkable. Yes. So his yeah his his radio days basically informed his spirituality at a very basic level.
1: Right. Yeah. That that definitely makes sense because once he realized the. Like you said, the magic of the way of being invisible and everything, it's like, well, now we can look further and beyond. And
2: mm-hmm. like I
1: said, it just all amazes me. <laughs> so did John Petzer believe, um, what did he believe? The connection between mind, body, spirit, and health and well-being. That's big for me.
3: Well, he was, he was very interested in this and convinced that um, the you know, mind and spirit uh, were instrumental in, in creating and maintaining good health in the body. Um, he was very interested in kind of the mind over matter teachings of um, new thought, which is another metaphysical movement in the United States. And um, he was very interested in, in the power of positive thinking of Norman Vincent Peale and people like that. Um, later, he got very interested in uh, the power of meditation, of various forms of meditation uh, to create, to basically bring spirit in, uh, in order to calm the mind and create a mindful um, condition, but also the impact it had on the body as well. Um, in the 1970s, he got very interested in Transcendental Meditation. And he met the Maharishi Yogi and they became good friends. and he basically uh, continued doing some form of meditation uh, all the way up until the day he died. And he felt that it was that mind-body connection through meditation that really helped him stay young, maybe not physically, but mentally, and um, uh, gave him kind of the energy um, to get through the last years of his life.
1: And I I can... Vouch for um, being able to do that myself because my story is that um, my mind and body, my mind, body, and spirit were not connected at all, and was all fighting against each other. I had mm-hmm. most of my colon removed in 2012, so oh. I was not living my life. I was living in the bathroom, and so in 2014. In a crisis moment, I attempted suicide, and oh. it actually was an answer to a prayer from to God to help me feel better. But I needed to get underneath the barrel to be able to go up and say, okay, the only way I can do is go up mm-hmm. and connect my mind, body, and spirit to make me a healthier, happier person. And like I said, 2014, and within the next year, I had all these changes and all these opportunities to learn more about spirituality, excuse me, and that it really does make a difference in how you live your life, and um, I'm actually an award-winning author just recently, and in my book, I talk about my attempt and my illnesses and everything, and how my spirituality actually played in the um the healing part of my journey,
3: yeah, yeah, well, John Fetzer actually um had a couple of heart attacks during his life, and each time he had a heart attack he the i guess the the doctors would basically say, "Well, this is it, you're probably the next one's going to get you." And he would say no, and he would launch into uh, a new spiritual practice. So the first heart attack he had in the 1970s, um, he was introduced to A Course in Miracles. And it was really The Course in Miracles that he believed um, really reoriented and saved his life. And then... um, in the 1980s, he had a second heart attack, and at that point, um, he checked himself into the ARE Clinic, which is in Arizona, and it's associated with the Edgar Casey Foundation, and underwent a, a number of, uh, of different uh, alternative treatments, and um, felt again that it kind of gave him a new lease on life. Um, so, yes, it's it's for him at each one of these spiritual crises. Uh, physical crises, rather, Um, it was not only the intervention of doctors, but also uh, his spiritual quest that really kept him going.
1: Right. And so in that aspect, again, I highly recommend that everybody, even if it's five minutes a day, that you put yourself first.
2: Because Mm -hmm. when you put
1: yourself first, everything falls into place. You learn more about spirituality, and it's a world of difference when you actually focus a little bit better on yourself and spirituality. Excuse me. Um, So what about Fetzer's belief in reincarnation and past lives? How did
2: that impact his life?
3: He had a very deep belief in, in reincarnation and the idea of karma working through um, it's interesting because um, one of the things he was very interested in was genealogy. And so he um, um, wrote two very uh, complete genealogies of his father's family and then his mother's family. Um, but this was before the, you know, in the days before Ancestry.com or any of the online tools that most people use. So he frequently yeah. ran into dead ends. And so he started using uh, the Ouija board as a means of getting information uh, about his relatives. And this really kind of convinced him even more that he had a series of past lives, uh, and he believed these past lives stretched all the way back to Atlantis. He believed in Atlantis. Um, And he believed that his, his, his series of past lives um, we're all connected together by a certain mission, and again, this mission has to do with the new age and global transformation. And that each life was basically preparing him for his final life, uh, in which he would create the institution um, that would lead to ultimately the global transformation of the, I mean, the, the the world transformation he was looking for, the Fetzer Institute. So for him, the past lives he felt were tremendously important preparation um, for the mission he was going to carry out in this life.
2: I
1: believe that very strongly, too. Um, I went through a past life regression with Brian Weiss one time Mm -hmm. in in a public setting, and I saw myself as a nun. Mm -hmm. And when you're a nun, you have the vow of poverty. And that's what my life is now. <laughs> you know, it's like I am trying my hardest to get money coming in, and it just doesn't happen. Sure. So I feel that that vow made a difference. And there's other things that I've recognized from um, different regressions that I want to try to tie it together and learn more um,
2: mm-hmm.
1: how to do past life regression.
3: Well, for Fetzer, Have um, you
2: done it yourself?
3: I haven't done it myself, no, Mm-mm. but um, Fetzer used a variety of different methods. He, um, he used the Ouija board that was part of it to reconstruct his past lives, but he was also, um, he consulted psychics and channelers uh, throughout his life, and in his last decade he had a kind of house psychic who worked for him named Jim Gordon. And helped him kind of flesh out the details of of his past lives. And the other thing that Fetzer believed in was group reincarnation. Uh, he really believed that his closest friends and associates um, had been parallel had parallel uh, past lives, and that they'd been working together uh, for literally thousands of years in order to reach that point. So it kind of, I think deepened his friendships as well. This belief that they had been through, you know, all sorts of stuff together, um, and here they were, he and his associates and friends, uh, working on this great project, which eventuated into the Fetzer the Institute. That's wonderful. Um, I was on a, a
1: cruise in 2010 or 11. Um, you know, the Hay House Foundation, Louise Hay.
3: Uh, no, actually, I don't. You know
1: Okay, well, Louise Hay was um, a self-healed person from cancer and she started Hay House publishing for authors that she would publish their books and they grew to a large organization and they do events very often. And Mm -hmm.
2: this time
1: it was, um, you go on the cruise only for the Hay House people and their authors were speaking on stage. And there was one speaker, um, I can't remember her name right now, but she said that she recognizes that everybody on the ship was brought together because we had been together in a past life also. There you go. That felt very strong and really resonated with me.
3: Yeah, yeah
1: so
2: well,
3: it's interesting. A, yeah, it's a, it's a powerful idea that, you know, we're working through our kind of karma with um, friends and family who have been with us forever.
2: Uh-huh.
1: Mm-hmm. And maybe we could get on another call one time and, and investigate a little bit more about that. But we can sure. talk more about John Fetler still.
2: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: so <laughs> for so what was the spiritual meaning of wealth?
3: Well, Fetzer uh, was a a very good businessman, and he made millions of dollars out of his businesses. And by the time he died, he was uh, one of Forbes magazine's 400 wealthiest Americans. But it's interesting. He lived a very frugal life. Um, He didn't have the private jet or the limousine or that kind of thing. He lived in a very modest tract home here in Kalamazoo. Um, Because for him, uh, just making money wasn't enough. Um, it was it was fun. Uh, he felt a great deal of achievement by what he earned, but if it didn't have a larger purpose, uh, he felt it was really being wasted. And so, it was always the the mission instead of the money. If there wasn't a mission, then, that's okay.
2: <laughs> if, there,
3: if there wasn't a mission, then the money really was really meaningless. And so uh, in the last years of his life, he began liquidating his businesses, systematically liquidating his businesses, selling off the Fetzer Broadcasting System, and he sold the Detroit Tigers baseball team. And he took that money uh, and used it to provide the endowment for the Fetzer Institute and its allied organizations. And that essentially was the kind of culmination of the reason why he, he felt driven Um, to make this money. So for him, I mean, money was important. Money was energy. It was the ability to do things. It was power. But it had to be power to do the right things. And that's why it was always important to have the mission instead of just money-making. And that's how I look at
1: it now. Um, I have my husband who supports me and I'm still living on disability. That's my income.
2: But mm-hmm.
1: I'm making an impact in the world by bringing people like you through my podcast so people can actually be inspired and follow through on learning more about John Fetzer, learning more about spirituality and everything. Yeah. And I know that the money will be supplied to me for whatever I have to do. Mm-hmm. So that's how I've looked at it, as that's my purpose in the world is yeah. to bring, bring this um, information and feeling to the world.
3: That's your mission, yeah.
1: Exactly, exactly. So, what were some of John's early projects funded by the FETSA Foundation?
3: Well, he was very interested in parapsychology. Um, and so the, during the 1970s, when he first um, really used the foundation to fund other people's projects, um, he was he was very interested in, in um, things like clairvoyance and extrasensory perception and remote viewing and um, those kinds of things. And he was also interested in, in things like poltergeist activity and stuff like that. Um, so he funded, uh, for example, J.B. uh had a parapsychological laboratory at Duke University, uh, which received uh, fairly sizable grants from the Fetzer Foundation, as it was called then, it's now the Fetzer Institute. Um, and he also uh, supported organizations like um, PEARS, which was the Princeton Engineering Anomalies Research Laboratory. And he was a board member of IONS, the Institute of Noetic Sciences, one of the first board members. So that's what he first I, started. What funding. was that one? Pardon me?
1: The, ins- the Institute of what?
3: Noetic, I- Institute of Noetic Sciences.
1: What is that?
3: Well, it was um, um, a, uh, it still exists, and it's a, a nonprofit um, institute um, that was founded by Edgar Mitchell, the astronaut. And um, it's now located in Petaluma, California. um, And they do uh, all sorts of interesting research on consciousness uh, and other paranormal, well, consciousness, and projects that have to do with uh, paranormal phenomenon. it's a, it's a very interesting group, and, and Fetzer was one of the early funders of uh, a lot of the project's of ions in the beginning, back in the 1970s and the 1980s. So does
1: Noetic have a, a meaning, or it's just a, a name that they
3: chose? Well, Noetic actually goes back to um, William James. Um, who's had a famous book of course Varieties of Religious Experience and one of his definitions of what a mystical experience was was uh, noetic which comes from gnosis from knowledge is self-authenticating knowledge okay so when you have an experience you know it's real because the experience itself carries a certain uh, form of knowledge um, um, a, a way of uh, authentic, authenticating itself is real Um, So, noetic, really, uh, I guess an easy kind of definition would be spiritual knowledge.
2: Okay, I love that.
1: Thank you. Sure. Um, So, how did John Fetter apply his spiritual ideas to running the Detroit Tigers?
3: Well, um, usually he he tried to keep his business and his spiritual quest separate, but on a couple of occasions uh, he did basically inject his spiritual beliefs. And one of them was in the 1970s uh, when he was doing transcendental meditation Um, in spring training. The Tigers would go down to Florida for spring training, and he offered free classes in transcendental meditation if uh, the ballplayers wanted to do it. And not everybody did, but some did, and some of the players actually got very uh, interested in the practice and continued doing Transcendental Meditation um, for an extended period of time. Um, The other time that uh, he kind of intervened with his his spiritual beliefs, or in this case his psychic beliefs, um, John Fetzer really believed in the power of mind over matter. And one of the things he would do is he, he carried around a little pendulum. And the pendulum was nothing more than a, a weight on the end of a string. And if he had yeah. decisions he needed to make and he wasn't exactly sure of which direction to go, uh, he'd pull out the pendulum and hold it you know, in his hand and um, ask it a series of yes-no questions. And depending on the way it deflected, that would influence the decision he'd make. Now, when it came to the Tigers, um, he had a star pitcher, a guy named Mark the Bird Fidrich. And Fidrich was just one of the best pitchers in Major League Baseball for a number of years. But he was very idiosyncratic, and he would walk up to the mound, and before he threw the ball, he would do things like talking to the baseball, and he had all sorts of interesting little rituals and things he did. and even though he was successful, uh, he got very self-conscious because the sports writers were starting to make fun of all his kinds of antics on the mound. And Fetzer basically brought, brought him into his office. Um, they sat down. Fetzer pulled out the pendulum. And together, uh, they tried to make it move with their minds. And according to Fidrich's uh, memoirs, um, they succeeded in actually making the pendulum move. And the point of this was not to, you know, decide anything, but simply Fetzer wanted Fidrich to understand that uh, the mind had power over matter, and that what he was doing on the mound with all his little rituals and talking to the baseball and all his antics was essentially affecting the way he was pitching. So his mind really was affecting the way he pitched. And so, Fidrich felt that uh, he learned the lesson and basically became a little bit more less self-conscious about what he was doing and more confident that what he was doing was right. And he credited Fetcher with, um, you know, keeping him uh, a top-flight, you know, pitcher.
1: That's great. Um, I'm not sure about talking to the baseball how that actually plays in, but I know people talking to plants makes them stay healthy. Mm -hmm. And um, the the power of the mind is really very strong.
2: Yeah. And
1: that's also part of my journey is the positive thinking and everything like that as, okay, I know it's going to come and I'm not worried about it. And, you know, my biggest thing when I started my healing journey was I typed up the words, I am healthy. Mm
2: -hmm. And
1: I printed that out and put it in every room of my house. And although I didn't read it daily, it was still there,
2: sure. and it was
1: in my subconscious mind. And yeah. I know that helped me heal. <coughs> Excuse me. It makes a, a big difference. I find it very interesting that you told us about the pendulum, because just yesterday I was saying, I have to get my pendulum out and start yeah. using it again. So the <laughs> the reminder.
3: Uh, synchronicity. <laughs>
2: It
1: really is. I love how things come together. Definitely. I want to read something that I found on your website, um, ending with a quote from John Fetzer
2: mm-hmm.
1: The ever present infinite potential. Consciousness is never static or complete, it is ever expanding. Science and spirituality are often considered separate areas of inquiry. But what if there is no separation? As researchers continue to explore consciousness, what may be emerging is the possibility that everything is interconnected Mm -hmm. on the planet and throughout the universe. If so, could awakening to this interconnection hold the key to experiencing your infinite potential? And then the quote is, I feel that we are on the threshold of a new order where people will be seeking enlightened change. This will all come about with the infusion of spirituality into science. And that's by John E. Fetzer. And that's exactly what we've been talking about, how things have um, really come to fruition and becoming stronger in our bond with each other.
3: That's right. Yes. So, part of uh, Fetzer's vision is is coming true, hopefully.
1: Yes, it definitely is. So, what has the John Fetzer Memorial Trust and the Fetzer Institute been doing to further Fetzer's legacy and mission?
3: Well, the Fetzer Institute itself um, is currently doing a number of programs uh... social programs designed to basically uh... make people aware of spirituality in their daily life and so they're there uh... funding programs that basically uh... talk about meditation and other spiritual practices but just spirituality in general uh... throughout the life cycle so from childhood on into old age and how important it is at each step at each you know period uh... to kind of reaffirm and 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 reap and return to a kind of mindful awareness of of the spiritual in life. Another thing the Fetzer Institute is doing, this is a very recent project, is they're bringing together groups um, to talk about the kind of spiritual roots of our democracy. And uh, like everybody else, uh, the Fetzer Institute is very concerned about the kinds of divisions that are occurring in our country right now. And they believe that taking a spiritual approach to it might help people overcome the tendency to shout at each other and maybe uh, sit down and dialogue with each other.
1: That's wonderful. You know, I talk about politics and I say, I do not believe in politics. I believe in common sense.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And when people talk more realistic, you know that things are going to get done in a In a better way, but when they talk about, oh, we're going to do this because you don't want to, and you know, and and we're going to be against you, it's really not so healthy, actually. Um, I I, I've recognized the division with some people because of politics, and it's like that shouldn't be the way of, of the way of the world. It should be, oh, you're my friend, and. Yeah, you may think differently than me, but we can still stay friends.
3: Right, right. Yeah, and it's important for us to remain friends because it's that dialogue that keeps this country from, from kind of, you know, breaking apart in many pieces. Yeah, John Fetzer really believes, I, I think, that the political center will only be found if there's uh, people find a spiritual center.
1: And I really hope that starts to happen really soon.
3: I do, too. Yeah, exactly.
1: So what are your spiritual beliefs?
3: Well, I kind of uh, describe myself as a a kind of skeptical seeker, a kind of agnostic seeker. So on the one hand, I'm I'm very interested in in these spiritual paths, and I'm I'm very drawn to them. Uh, But as an academic, of course, I also have to bring a, a degree of critical thinking to it as well. So uh, when people ask me what my, my religion is, I, I often tell them that it's, it's comparative religion because I really find a, a, a kind of, what, um, spiritual satisfaction in studying the world's religions and in comparing the world religions, world's religions and teaching them to my students uh, who come into our classrooms just um, very eager to learn but uh, very ignorant about what's out there. And once they learn just the manifold possibilities of being religious or spiritual, um, for a lot of them, it's just energizing and eye-opening. So, for that, that's my kind of spiritual take, my kind of um, spirituality.
1: Okay, so basically, it's openness and you know, willing to take it all in and just decide what works best for you.
3: Exactly. Yeah, I,
1: that's. That's pretty much how I take it in, too. Um, I had another thought and I lost it. I'm sorry. (laughs) That's okay. Yeah. Um, Oh, so do you recognize any similarities through all of the different religions?
3: Well, they all have a yearning for the transcendent, and they all have a yearning for something eternal and unchanging. And I think it, regardless of what re- religious tradition you're talking about, um, there are always those, those key facets to it. People really want that, um, that sense that the material world is not all there is and that there's greater meaning to life and that meaning is kind of anchored in something that's transcendent and eternal. So I think that's, that's the key. That's the kernel. That's the core uh, of all of humanity's religions. And we might approach it in different ways. We might have different ways of symbolizing it, or different doctrines or different myths, but ultimately it boils down to that.
1: That's wonderful. I've, I was thinking that that's what you would end up telling me, but excuse me, I just I figured that being that you have worked with so many different ones, that you would have a better um, knowledge of how it, how it works. Um, Thank you for sharing that. So is there anything else that you would like to share about John Fetzer or yourself, um, before we say goodbye?
3: Well, uh, I'd like to invite people, if they're interested in learning more about the Fetzer Institute, um, they can go to uh, www.fetzer.org. And um, the Memorial Trust has a website, infinitepotential.com. And at InfinitePotential.com, you can get a free PDF of the preface and first chapter of the book. And, of course, the book itself uh, is available both as a hard copy and as, a, as an ebook on Amazon.com and BarnesandNoble.com and other online booksellers. So um, it's readily available out there.
1: Yes. And I I do have a copy of it myself, and I'm looking forward to reading it and really letting everything that you talked about sink in and and really um, help my journey continue advancing.
3: Fantastic.
1: Yes. So thank you, Brian. This was really a great conversation. And, um, you know, like I said in the beginning, it was Different than how I normally run everything, but we still had a wonderful conversation, and I appreciate all of your wealth of knowledge.
3: Well, I appreciate your inviting me on. This has been a pleasure.
1: Yes, it has been. So everyone listening, thank you so much for your time and listening to everything that Brian had to share about John Fetzer and his journey of spirituality, as a reminder, you can check out my information on my website at KatherineMLab.com and you can get a free report on my website and learn about my different programs. If you want to sign up for a reading, you can do that on my Programs and Readings page, and we can talk on the phone, through Skype, email, and if you're sent local to Central Suffolk County, New York, in person. And, again, you can find Brian and the Fetzer Institute, Institute information at the two places. One is www.fetzer.org, and the other one is www.infinitepotential.com InfinitePotentials.com This is Catherine Lab. Have a wonderfully blessed day.
0: Thank you for listening to our conversation. We hope that you found the discussion to be rewarding and inspirational and you take action to create a healthier and happier personal environment for yourself and those you interact with. If you like this episode of The Celestial Spoon, please listen again next time to learn more about how Sexuality has guided others to advance their lives. We wish you the best on your personal journey.